Hello and welcome to R2 Gaming, gaming from the right perspective. I'm John. And I'm Abe. And you are joining us right now in the basement studio in cold, cold Colorado Springs. So what we're going to try and do is every week we're going to bring you guys news, featured review, and maybe what we've been playing. So right off the bat, we had two huge releases this week in Fallout 4 and Battlefront. So we'll be talking about those later in the episode. Right now, let's talk about what we've been playing. So this week, I played both Battlefront and Fallout 4, but those are obvious. I've still been playing Destiny heavily, and it's uh, it's kind of wearing thin a little bit. Like, the Taken King, the cracks are starting to show. Yeah, you think so? Yeah, it's it's become very grindy. It's not as fun as it used to be. I remember when the Taken King first came out, it was like, this is the savior of Destiny. Great things have come. And... It took a little while to work through, you know, all the opening quests and stuff, and then you're like, oh my god, it's the same game. It's grindier, and now we have even less powerful weapons, and less rocket launchers, and more bullet sponges. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just, it's becoming increasingly less fun to play. So, I don't know if Destiny 2 is the only hope for this thing, or if they can actually, you know, in these free content patches that are going to be coming out, if they'll actually get something good out. It'll make me want to play it again. But as of now, I don't know. Well, I've got to disagree a little bit. (laughs) I, too, have been playing a lot of Destiny Taken King. And uh, there was a period that I got very frustrated with it, too. And I felt like there was a lot of uh, grinding and things like that. And uh, I took a break from it, and I came back to it. And I have really gotten a new appreciation for it. A lot of the little hidden things that were in there of uh, strike-specific gear that you can find have been really fun to start hunting for. Um, Some of the uh, new uh, PvP maps are just really fun, and that's from someone who hates PvP. Uh, I've I've really enjoyed a number of those. And, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of uh, cool little nuggets to still find on the Taken King, and I'm, I'm really enjoying it and still really enjoying looking for this stuff. Yeah, there is something to be said for it. You know, this week's Last Nightfall was actually pretty engaging. It was. The modifiers were actually pretty fun. Yeah. Um, which hasn't been true, you know, of the past few months or no. Nightfall. But every time they bring in Zer and he's actually got something good, it's like, oh my god, I have reason to play this game again. Yeah. <laughs> there, There's things worth doing in this game. And you do got to kind of hunt for them. And I don't know, I've just been so distracted by um, by recent releases that it's been harder to, to pull myself back to that. But this stuff is there. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Uh, oh, I got into the, uh, the Overwatch beta. Uh, oh, yeah. A lot of people have been uh, talking about this one. So this is Blizzard's attempt to cash in on that sweet, sweet Team Fortress 2 slash <laughs> League of Legends money. Yeah. And, um, you know, the more time goes on, the more uh, publishers I see that create, like, this group of characters... And then you're instantly supposed to love them and give them your money for them. I don't know. So Overwatch very much feels like Team Fortress 2, in my opinion. Oh, okay. And um, you can really tell that Blizzard is trying hard to make you like these characters. Like, if I had a nickel for every time Tracer popped up and said, Hello, Gavory's here. I'm like, I get it. You're cute. You're quirky. <laughs> I'm supposed to like you. Have been, you've been made by a boardroom for me to like you take my money <laughs> but they haven't implemented uh any real money stuff yet in the game yet but it will come and um i don't know like going on the overwatch subreddit and just seeing people who are like having these existential meltdowns because they're not in the beta test like 
do I tell them it's not that good? Do I tell them that, you know, this thing that is, like, they're ruining their school careers over, it's not, like, it's not going to be the greatest thing in their lives, but I don't know. I mean, it is, it is compelling. Like, I find when I play one round, I'll stick around and maybe play three or four, but, oh, okay. I mean, Overwatch is, like, the shreds of that Project Titan that they talked about, like, five years ago. It was supposed to be the successor to WoW, and it's going to be, you know, a first-person shooter MMO. And then they scrapped the entire thing. They're like, this is too big. It can't be bigger than WoW. It's too big for itself. And so they pulled out, like, this tiny little piece from it. And they're like, but there's an arena-based shooter in here. So we'll take that out and make it the whole product. And I don't know. It, it makes me wonder, like, if they'll expand it out, you know, over the course of the, pro um, the lifetime of Overwatch. They'll say, you know, okay, so this section did well. Now let's make it bigger from there. And, because that would be cool. Like, I would not mind an MMO with these characters. But at the scale that it's at now, just not that interesting to me. There are yeah. other things that do first-person shooters better that are mm -hmm. more compelling from gameplay perspective and don't require me to relearn the entire game and all the characters in it, you know, what yeah. they do and how they play. So, for what it is, just not holding my attention. But I did get in. And that did feel pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to get into a beta. Yeah. And so fun. Well, I signed up for, I opted into the beta like a week beforehand, and I was like, millions of people have opted in. There's no way I'm getting in. And it showed up in my email, and I was like, oh my god. Well, they must have just been giving this to everybody. Like, it, it's a beta, but it's really more like a public demo. <laughs> and I realized, I was like, no, this is exclusive. Nice. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like... The temptation to sell my Blizzard account is very... I, I would never do it. Never do it. I liked WoW way too much. Oh, um, so I guess that leads us into our news segment. So, in news, um, WoW's next expansion, uh, Legion, uh, just went into beta test last night. And sites like WoWhead and other um, you know, World of Warcraft data mining sites are already cracking away at the, uh, the data pack files for that. And so they're you know, getting all the new quests and all the new story and all the new items and stuff. So by the time you actually get the beta next or the game next se September, it won't be fresh and new. <laughs> They'll already know everything about it. And um, it's useful, you know, depending on how you like to play the game. If you want to, you know, do everything all at once, then don't worry. There's websites out there that will help you do that. But if you actually enjoy, ex like, exploring new content and discovering things... yeah. Kind of like the first time you actually played WoW, when it was all fresh and new, and nobody knew anything about anything. Um, maybe maybe don't do those things. Maybe don't go to those websites. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to really savor a game, in my opinion. You gotta you gotta just kind of stay away from things, just like with movies. Mm. Try to, you know, don't oversaturate yourself with trailers and spoilers and all that. And just go and enjoy the movie, enjoy the game. Yeah, I, I think that's a much more fulfilling experience. It is. Like my... Struggle to stay pure for Star Wars. <laughs> I'm saving myself for <laughs> episode Star seven. Wars Virgin. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in other news, um, so Deus Ex, the next uh, entry in that franchise, Mankind Divided, got delayed by six months. It was supposed, yeah, supposed to come out in February, got pushed to August. Um, I don't know if you played uh, Human Revolution. That was a great one. I think it came out like 2012, maybe late 2011. Mm -hmm. And it was this beautiful blend of, like, Metal Gear Solid stealth gameplay with first-person action. And um, I was really blown away with, like, there was some strong social commentary there, you know, about yeah. uh, humans that augment themselves. You know, will we give away parts of our um, 
you know, our, our biological identity. Like, say, if you could run faster by hacking off your legs and putting on robotic legs, would you do it? And, um, and there are people, you know, in this game that chose to do that. Yeah. And it was interesting because there was, you know, like, this societal repercussion. Like, they suddenly became second-class citizens because they didn't have human legs. Now, sure, they could jump over a building and do amazing, you know, or horrible things because some of them turned out to be criminals. But it was just, it was very compelling because, you know, we we live in an age where, um, you know, like, Oscar Pistorius ran in the Olympics yeah. with, um, with prosthetic legs. Maybe he didn't win, but I mean, and maybe mm-hmm. he went on to kill his girlfriend and possibly go to prison. But... Ugh. I mean, maybe that's a little closer to the Deus Ex level comment. It didn't even occur to me at the time. Um, but yeah, uh, the next uh, entry in that series got pushed six months. And um, it's funny, this is not the first bit of controversy for this game. Yeah. So they announced a pre-order campaign called like uh, Deus Ex, Augment Your Pre-Order. And yeah. what it was, essentially, was like a Kickstarter for the game's own pre-order. If... Uh, enough people pre-ordered the game, it would unlock different reward levels, mm-hmm. and it was the scammiest shit ever. It was like, you know, um, we'll give you extra skins, and then uh, the top tier, like, if a million people pre-ordered it, they said, we'll release the game four days early. And Ooh, yeah, the, four whole days. The internet collectively lost its shit. Like, <laughs> they, uh, the video was one of the most um, down or unliked videos on YouTube in the history of the website, like, 100,000 dislikes. And they ended up uh, canceling the campaign because they were like, oh my gosh, this could sink our game. This could be, like, it could die before it ever comes out. Well, anytime I see someone uh, bump uh, a release from the dead zone of February out to August, right. wow, the giant <laughs> time to buy and spend money on games and movies, you know, oh, we've bumped it up to that golden era. Mm-hmm. You know, I always kind of smell scam in yeah. the air <laughs> right and they're going let's just put more polish on like you know human revolution didn't exactly come out recently it's been a while like they've had a yeah. standard development cycle in there so yeah to say they need six more months for polish i don't know i mean i am not currently a game designer so maybe i don't have that insider knowledge but between the nastiness of the um augment your pre-order campaign and then this i don't know something feels amiss you know, all that said, it, I'm sure I'll play the game in one form or another. It really feels like they're trying to make their money before anyone can see their content and yeah. say, hey, this is good or this is crap. Yeah. You know, they're trying to get that, that money before. Yeah, we live in the era of Steam early access and, you know, yeah. paying for things before they're finished. And, you know, maybe 10 years from now, like, it will be an interesting experiment to look back on and say, like, okay, did the early access model work? You know, did... Yeah. Did the audience that liked these things paying for it, did that produce good stuff or did it produce bad stuff? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, it says something that the majority of games in Steam Early Access are unfinished. Like, 72% of all games that are in that model don't even have a beta release out. Wow. So, like, they're just, you know, they're getting paid for something that's not done. They're getting paid for ideas. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah, that will be an interesting experience. Yeah. Um... So, moving forward, uh, so PlayStation 4 is backwards compatibility. It's something that's been talked about because uh, there's a whole mess of PlayStation 2 backwards compatible titles that are coming out in, um, I think it's like a Star Wars bundle. There's like three or four Star Wars games that they're putting together with Battlefront. And um, 
it turns out it's all true. You know, these, uh, these rumors, nice. yeah, they're not greatly exaggerated. Uh, it stands to reason if you put a PlayStation 2 game into your PS4, it may actually start up right now. Um, That'd be awesome. Yeah, last night at like 1 in the morning, uh, a PlayStation representative said that, um, yes, it's true. We'll talk more about it in the coming weeks, but that this is a thing. So that's good. Um, supposedly it upscales these things. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because this is a little bit of backpedaling. Like when the PS4 came out, people were like, will it be backwards compatible? Can we do this stuff? And Sony was like, no. And we don't think you're interested in that, so we're never going to do it because we know what you want better than you do. <laughs> and um, and now here we are. Like, it's kind of interesting that Microsoft announced their backwards compatibility for yeah. Xbox 360 yes. you know, a few weeks ago. Maybe a few months, but they just released it. And now it almost feels like Sony's playing catch up a little bit in that regard. They're like, oh man, we can't let Xbox have any possible edge over what we're doing. So, um, yeah. so they've done it themselves very quickly. And, um, interestingly, they've hidden this stuff, like, in the system updates. Like, they, they never spoke about it. They just put this functionality on everybody's PS4 and never told anyone. They're like, yeah. just, just let them discover it on their own. Yeah. So, I don't know. It feels like kind of when Apple made certain products that there's really water-resistant and then they never advertised it because <laughs> it, they didn't want to be held accountable for it. Yeah. Like, they didn't want to call something yeah. waterproof and then people, like, throw it in a pool and then yeah. you know it breaks and they're like what do you mean you said it was waterproof so that that level of plausible deniability feel, it's like more and more common from, yeah. uh, from people these days uh, also on that um, that backwards compat uh, PlayStation 2 titles are not the only ones um, PlayStation 1 titles might be included in there really yeah. okay Final Fantasy VII uh, supposedly comes out next month, uh, in December of this year. And um, there's rumors that you'll be able to put that disc in your PS4 and load it up, which would be awesome. Because right now, Sony's probably making money hand over fist from their PlayStation Now thing, where you can rent old PS2 and PS1 titles over PlayStation Network yeah, and, uh, and play that way. But it would be nice, you know, if this old library that everybody has laying around of old PlayStation things could actually be used on modern hardware and even nicer if it made it prettier when you do it yeah that'd be some impressive upscaling to take a ps1 game up to the quality of a ps4 game yeah yeah i wonder what ff7 would look like because that has like all pre-rendered backgrounds and yeah. stuff in there so what does that look like when you upscale it because on the pc version they've they've done that stuff and ooh, those backgrounds did not age well like, <laughs> yeah oof, it's rough yeah um, so, also in PC news, the moderators of the uh, Payday 2 uh, Steam community have gone into full-out revolt after, um, so Payday 2 went free-to-play, and there's kind of this notion that when things go free-to-play, they become pay-to-win, yeah. and that is, yeah, that's... according to some people, most people, that's what's happened with Payday 2. So they have these things called crates, or safes or vaults or something and you buy some sort of box like thing (laughs) yeah kind of like team fortress 2 tests and you buy drills to get into these safes now the difference is in other games you know those mystery boxes only contain cosmetic items but in payday 2 they contain actual guns with much better stats yeah and so like people have been waiting for the developer to you know release the thing that's going to make this all okay and They've given up hope. Like, they're like, the developer has gone rogue. They don't care about anything uh, other than making money. 
And, uh, and as such, the, the moderators of the Steam community for Payday 2 have said that they are on strike and will not do anything with that community, will not curate anything until they're given an interview by um, Payday 2's developers. Oh, wow. So, I mean, well, good for them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, standing up for the, uh, the audience that they're representing and moderating. It's true. It's just, it seems kind of like a weird hostage-taking method to say, like, until we have an interview with people, like, I don't know what that necessarily accomplishes. I guess it begins a dialogue, but, you know, it's no guarantee of future results. I don't know. Do, do we negotiate with gaming terrorists? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, also, in other news this week, so, Zelt, er, Nintendo announced a, uh, a female Link character. Uh, they named her Linkle. She's actually, you know, a first-party character. Linkle? Yeah. I mean, could have... So many other ways they could have gone with that. Link, uh... I mean... The, the list could go on, but, um, you know, she's a first party character and I really, really have this strong feeling that this is really, um, to do with the E3 trailer of this year. You know, there are so many people that when they first showed that Zelda trailer, they go, Oh, is Link a girl? Are they making Link a woman in this one? And this just feels like, you know, a pandering cash grab in a, in my yeah. opinion. They're like, Oh, there was buzz about that. Like it trended on Twitter. And, yeah. uh, and so now, yeah, definitely, yeah, they're throwing this thing into Smash Brothers to get some more of those sweet, sweet gender-bending dollars. Well, the thing that drives me nuts with a lot of gender-bending is, uh, it's, it's a cheap way to say we've made something new. And it's not really new. Um, you know, thinking back to Battlestar Galactica, and one of the first most famous kind of gender-bending things is when they, uh, they made Starbuck a, a girl... When you look at the two characters, they're identical. They're the same carousing kind of, uh, you know, um, out there, rough and tumble, cocky characters. Hmm. There's there's nothing new brought to it just by changing the ben- the gender. Hmm. And uh, when when I heard about this uh, changing of of Link to a girl, I was kind of disappointed. I had kind of hoped to see. The Legend of Zelda and see Zelda do hmm. something. That would be a female character I would love to play. Yeah. And and see her uh, maybe as some very powerful uh, sorceress who who has to give up her power hmm. at some point and become the maiden that has to be rescued at the very end. You know, a sacrificing of herself and, hmm. and her power. Uh, that could have been really interesting. But a, a female Link, how is that going to be different? Is she right. going to run around with a sword and a bow and ride a horse and, and do some races and puzzles and things and save the day in the end? Yeah. It's going to be the same thing with a female character. And that's yeah. really not compelling. It's yeah. not. I don't know what the stakes of that are. Like, what, what does Zelda become in that universe? You know, is it a new IP? Is it just, you know, a character in Smash Brothers? I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens there, because... You know, swapping the the gender of your male protagonist hero, it only complicates things for your franchise. If you have any goals, you know, beyond just a character in Smash Brothers, like it doesn't, it's not helping in a big way. I don't know. No, and it, it's it's a cheap and easy way to generate buzz and interest and and tell yep. people you've got something new when you don't. Yeah. Well, speaking of generating interest, um, Nintendo also announced that Cloud from Final Fantasy VII is now a play, uh, playable character in Super Smash Brothers. 
So yeah. this is the first time that a Final Fantasy character has been on a Nintendo platform since the 90s. Wow. Like, okay. that's that's a big swap. And, depending on how you read it, it's, um, it's kind of a, a show of no faith in Sony's own attempt at making a Super Smash Brothers game. Because they made one on PlayStation, uh, I want to say last year, maybe the year before. And it had, you know, all the big PlayStation characters on it. Snake and all them. Yeah. Now, Snake has already gone over Super Smash Brothers, but now Cloud is there too. And nobody's really talking about this PlayStation version of it. That, that kind of died off pretty quickly. It seems like in the area of video game character brawlers, there can only be one. And that one is Smash Brothers. <laughs> well, name recognition is everything. Hmm. You know, it's the reason that, uh, well, on our upcoming stuff, uh, Fallout 4 and, and Battlefront are, uh, you know, on the list of Game of the Year yeah. already. Yep. Yeah. Um, the, there seems to be a lot of import given around, you know, the name of a title, what, yeah. it, what it's bringing, you know, its entire history and catalog. And, uh, and being judged by that rather than being judged singularly by the title. So, yeah, that, that leads us right into our Game of the Year 2015 nominees. So Let's hear them. Yeah, nominees for overall are Bloodborne, Fallout 4, Metal Gear Solid 5, Mario Maker, and The Witcher 3. And one of these is not like the other. <laughs> Mario Maker, yeah. compelling game, mentally simulated. It is. Probably vastly popular with children, and it will stand the test of time, I'm sure, but it's just, it's not, you know, epic in scale. Literally every other title on this list, the other four, yeah. are, you know, these sprawling epics, and yeah. uh, with challenging difficulty curves, or really engrossing, engaging stories, and then you have Mario Maker just hanging out in there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Anything that lets you make your own Mario Kart mm-hmm. courses <sighs> is just... Uh, an amazing idea, first of all. It's what everybody wanted mm. from very early on. You know, I remember being a teenager and playing that game and mm. thinking, oh man, this course would be really awesome if. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you can now do it, that just says something in and of itself right there. Yeah. Well, it's definitely made for um, compelling YouTube content. Because yeah. people will make these truly impossible-looking <laughs> levels. And uh, the difference is that before you can publish the level online, you have to complete it yourself. So they look impossible, but they have been beaten by somebody because otherwise they haven't, they couldn't be submitted. So there's levels of entirely spikes across the floor, and you just bounce across on those little musical notes from one to the other to the other. And the game is almost playing itself, but um, it's, it's very <laughs> interesting stuff to see yeah. in those videos. But anyway, so back to Bloodborne. Um, this one came out in, like, March of this year. I enjoyed yeah. it greatly, and it felt like Dark Souls 2.9. You know, not quite Dark Souls 3, but a lot of carryover and stuff from the Dark Souls games. That crazy difficulty curve. Yeah. Um, you know, the the idea of collecting items that you drop once you die, and you have one chance to get them back. Otherwise, they're gone forever. Mm. So the stakes are very high. Uh, the DLC for Bloodborne is actually out this month, and I'm pretty excited for that one. I'll probably buy it. Game of the Year... I don't know. I think that uh, Bloodborne will be forgotten as soon as Dark Souls 3 comes out. Because those Fair games... Are, there's kind of this mentality when a Dark Souls game comes out that everybody jumps to the new one, and the last one that came out is the most horrible thing ever. But the one that came out before that is like, oh, the golden era of Dark Souls. <laughs> like, So Dark Souls 2 came out. Skipping a generation. Yeah, everybody loved Dark Souls 2. And um, and then Bloodborne came out, and immediately Dark Souls 2 was like, oh, who would enjoy that game? And Dark Souls 1 became like, why couldn't it be more like that? Why didn't that game just happen again? So, you know, if, if it holds true, Bloodborne, its days are numbered when, uh, when Dark Souls 3 comes out. Yeah. Um, enjoyed that one. Maybe not Game of the Year. 
Uh, next up was Fallout 4. Now, in a post-Skyrim world, whenever a Bethesda title comes out, there is this immense deference that's given to it. You know, um, people uh, enjoy the story so much that they forgive um, these well-documented bugs and glitches and errors that are inherent in a Bethesda game, like characters falling through the world, or quests just glitching and making the game, like, unplayable, like you can't push the story forward due to some glitch or error. And, um, and I don't know, maybe it's because the, the worlds themselves are so engrossing, but people forgive these things, and, um, I mean, to the point that, like, the animation... So, Fallout 4 is actually built on the Skyrim engine. Mm -hmm. That came out four years ago. Like, that's an old engine. This thing is at the end of its life. And, um, there's still carryovers from Skyrim in this game. Like, character animations and stuff that they've just copied and pasted. And, um, I feel like if it was any other developer, they'd be crucified for this. But since it's Bethesda, and since people are so nuts for Fallout, um... They they give it a pass. See, for me, looking at I, I'm just I'm just personally kind of half shocked that Fallout Four is on the list. Um, just for me, they they pushed it too far mm. uh, with with what I would forgive, and and just graphics wise, I cannot forgive that game. So I have a real problem with Fallout 4's pushing of the dad buttons, so to say. But I'll the, I'll talk about that more uh, when we get to the review portion of the show. It, yeah, the game was started nine years ago. It looks like it was started nine years ago. I mean, when you have games like Star Wars Battlefront and Destiny out there that are just gorgeously rich, and then you have this rigid, plasticky-looking world yeah. um, you know, that has very little extra animation to it. I, I, was, I was just playing the game, and uh, I was walking around with uh, Unarmed, and when I saw my two fists come up and just kind of hover along the ground while I glided around free of any sort of movement, I was like, I can't do this. I just cannot keep playing a game this underdeveloped. Like, guys, pay your artists more or something. Like, unacceptable. Unacceptable in this day and age. Hover Fist 4. Not, not, not on Abe's game of the list. No, not on my game of the list. Yeah, they, um... They did have a lot of atmosphere built into the game, but then, you know, it shows through the cracks when you turn on your radio, and uh, they have all this great, you know, old-timey music, and they even went through the trouble of giving making this radio announcer who sounds basically like he's having a gun held to his head. Yeah. It's like, uh, so up next is, uh, the Ink Spots. I mean, it's just, it, it's actually very funny to listen to. And uh, they went through all that trouble, and then there's maybe, like, six or seven old-timey songs total in the game. So if you play it for more than an hour at a time, you're going to hear all the music, and, like, on repeat. And it's just, it's very, I mean, I found myself on my second play session opening up a, a 50s playlist on Spotify, turning down the in-game music, and then just having that thing go, and it was, like, immediately a better experience. Like, yeah. I found that I had a richer Fallout experience with the music in the game turned off. And... It shouldn't be that way. Like, that that's not a forgivable error in my yeah. mind. The other complaint I have is uh, the the story on it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they, uh, they've done better. They can, they yeah. can do better. Yeah, they can. So, uh, next on the list is Metal Gear Solid Five. Um, right, I haven't had a chance to play this one. Yeah. But I know you were really looking forward to it. Yeah, so the big release uh, schedule this year has just 
crushed like my <laughs> uh, my ability to finish a game. Like I started playing uh, Bloodborne, didn't finish that uh, to start playing GTA Five. Played GTA Five, didn't finish that to start playing The Witcher Three. And, uh, and then Witcher 3 didn't finish that and started playing Metal Gear Solid 5. It's like you're letting your job get in the way of playing games, right, man. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so Metal Gear Solid 5, um, that's a game that will stand the test of time. I think that, you know, we'll look back on it. It's too big for what the games industry is right now. It has so many great things in it that I can see why it basically killed Konami or why Konami killed Kojima over it. Because um, there are so many uh, great little things in there in, in base management, you know, and staffing your base. And it, it feels like, you know, they saw what some Facebook games did, and they knew that there was something compelling there, so they put it into their AAA game. Yeah. And then you have a world-class stealth action game on top of it. Yeah. And, um, oh, man, like, I'll need more time to finish it. Uh, potentially Game of the Year. Definitely will stand the test of time. Um, it's just... It's tough when there's so many good titles out around it for it to distinguish itself. So you think uh, uh, this one's a solid contender? Solid, yes, absolutely. Okay. It's in my top three of the year, and um, okay. if not higher. So after that is, uh, is Mario Maker, you know, which we discussed uh, a little bit earlier. So that's the only Nintendo property on this, and um, I don't know. It feels kind of cursory at best, uh, in, uh, in my honest opinion. Like there's got to be a Nintendo entry somewhere. They're in this throwing thing. them a bone, right? You know, otherwise it's just you know a Microsoft. Uh, maybe so. Yeah, uh, a Sony and Microsoft dominated ecosystem. Which this is the the UN of gaming here. <laughs> yeah. You've got to have somebody from each each developer. Yeah, and. So. I don't know, I think Mario Maker will, in the same audience that loves Minecraft every year and has made it a billion dollar uh, industry, yeah. um, I think Mario Maker will have traction there. Contender for Game of the Year? I don't think so. I mean, no? it's just, it's not epic in scale enough, it's not telling a story, um, you know, there are, there are stakes, you know, in, in these other games that are much higher and have more social commentary to give, rather than just making good YouTube content, essentially, at the end of the day. So. But what what really qualifies a, a game of the year is it is it a game that people you know rabidly love? Mm -hmm. Is that what we're going on? Is it number of titles sold? Is it you know? Hmm. I think it's a game that makes an impact. It's a game that will shape games uh, to come in the future. Okay. All right. Yeah, I like that, and I can see how that would uh, uh, eliminate mm -hmm. uh, Mario Maker in that one. And then uh, last but. Absolutely not least, the dark horse of this list, in my opinion, uh, The Witcher 3. So, The Witcher 3 from developer CD Projekt Red um, is hands down the prettiest game that I've played this uh, this year, especially on PC, where you can do, you know, little doctoring and sweet effects and things like that. Um, totally jaw-dropping game. Very compelling story. I got my girlfriend watching me play this game, and she's not a huge video game. <laughs> she likes Hearthstone, but um, not not a big gamer by uh, by any means. And, uh, and the story is engaging, you know, you're chasing after this guy's, uh, what does he call her, a daughter by choice, so kind of like an adopted daughter, I guess, in that world. Um, just great, great game, interesting combat, um, there's a, a card game uh, integrated in there that could stand alone on its own, <laughs> like, could be an iOS game in and of itself, and people have asked for it, it may happen. That'd be really cool. And, um... CD Projekt Red has done, uh, done something with it by making all the DLC for the game free. That's nice. Yeah, and the DLC is supposed to add, like, 
30 hours of gameplay to it really? by the time it comes nice. out. So, I mean, other games would call that an expansion, and they say, no, it's included in the cost of the game. I respect that. That is really unusual. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's Witcher 3. I, I think they're a solid contender. Uh, so in the shooter category for Game of the Year 2015 nominees... Here's the one we care about. Yeah. And it's the only one we put on this list because it's the most relevant to us. And there, there's like 10 other categories, but maybe some other time. Uh, so Game of the Year 2015 nominees in the shooter category are Call of Duty Black Ops 3, Destiny... Eh. Yeah. <laughs> Destiny the Taken King, Boop. which apparently is its own release. Uh, Halo 5 Guardians, uh, Splatoon, another cursory Nintendo property, hmm. and Star Wars Battlefront, which, I mean, let, let's take a moment here. That game just came out last week, and it's on yeah. Game of the Year lists. Kind of like Fallout 4, which came out like two weeks ago, already on Game of the Year lists. Um, so let's just okay. go through those real quick. So, COD Black Ops 3, I played the beta for this. Um, entertaining stuff, uh, from a demo standpoint. Didn't go out and pick it up because yeah, it's just same here. It's the yearly rehash. I did pick up the limited edition controller because that Ooh, thing looks sick. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah, um, the adding another, they added another developer to the uh, Call of Duty world. I think they added Sledgehammer Games um, a couple years ago. So now every year that a Call of Duty comes out, it's had three years in development as opposed mm-hmm. to two. So, um, that should mean, you know, that there's more creativity, there's more fun, there's, yeah. you know, it benefited it's from... It's a better game. Right, from a longer dev cycle. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily true in the case of Black Ops 3. The multiplayer felt very similar. They added some, um, some interesting things by putting in, like, hero classes, essentially, that when you get enough kills, you become, like, a super version, and you can have, like, a bow, or, like, you know, an air attack, um, which is interesting, but iterative at best it sounds very much like what they released with battlefront 2 mm-hmm. of you played long enough mm-hmm. and you got far enough and then you could unlock your hero and you could run around as luke skywalker or boba hmm. fett or darth vader good point um so you know a a ripoff of another game <laughs> and then styled as your own yeah. does not creativity make true that so, uh, Destiny of the Taken King, and it's being treated as its own separate release on this, I guess, you know, because there, there is a little bit of negative baggage associated with the, the vanilla version of Destiny. It was kind of a, a troubled game up until the release of the Taken King. Um, I, I would call this a solid contender, you know, for really all, all the frustrations that I've had with Destiny, you know, and their patches and stuff that they've done, um... The, the Taken King was a breath of fresh air, and it got me to put, you know, another 50 or 60 hours into this thing that I was kind of feeling done with by the end of uh, House of Wolves. And um, and I, I, I'm interested to see where Destiny 2 goes, or whatever, you know, DLCs come between now and then. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would call them a contender, you know, my hard feelings towards uh, Bungie aside. <laughs> See, I, I find uh, the Taken King gameplay so compelling. Mm. The uh, the the gunplay, uh, the mechanics, the uh, bits of stories that we get. We don't mm. get a lot, but but you get more than uh, Black Ops or or mm. even Battlefront. Uh, yeah. you, you get a lot more story, and uh, and I find that a lot more compelling. Yeah, than these other titles. Yeah, Destiny is a a study in the uh, in the concept that. Good gameplay forgives a lot of bad design. It does. Because yeah. the, the gunplay in that game is the tightest gunplay of any FPS. And that that's what gets me back pulling the trigger on there. It is. It's just, it's so satisfying, you know, when you 
yeah. bust a uh, single headshot and watch several enemies explore. Or the absolute best thing <laughs> of the new expansion, whipping out a gigantic elemental sword and yeah. going to town on everybody yep. is just awesome. Thrashing stuff. Yeah. So next up is Halo 5 Guardians. Now, it's kind of interesting to me, you know, these are both at their core Bungie properties. They are. Like, yeah. Halo is developed by a different studio now, but, I mean... There's still, you know, terms and stuff from Oh, there's so games. many elements that overlap. It's, yeah. it's almost humorous. I mean, Guardians and Destiny, Guardians and Halo 5. Yeah. Um, I will tell you, after seeing some behind-the-scenes stuff on Halo 5, like how they, they've they turned the auto-aim to an 11, like, it's just crazy how much <laughs> aim assist there is in that game. It makes De- uh, Destiny's aim assist look cursory. And um, I just, I really lost a lot of respect for the... Um, the potential esports uh, side of that, because Halo fu- er, Halo was already an arcade shooter at its core, but now it's become like an iPad shooter, like that level of behind the scenes code assisting going on there. Now, isn't that just making the game more accessible, though? Well, you could argue that games like Halo, you know, first person shooters, are meant to be competitive at their core. Maybe not That's necessarily accessible, like. Yeah, maybe their publisher wanted them to sell 10 million copies, so they're like, no, no, make this thing easier to shoot, because we'll sell more copies to That's true. six-year-old Timmy, yeah. whose mom buys him a rated M game as an overall crappy parent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you might be onto something there. Uh, so next up is Splatoon. Um, no, yeah. I know nothing about this game. Yeah, Splatoon, it's actually a first-person shooter on, um, on Wii U. Uh, it's a first-party Nintendo title. Um... I haven't played it myself, and the only thing I've heard about it has been from other podcasts, and they've seemed to enjoy it. Um, Splatoon is big in Japan, uh, not so big over here. Again, its inclusion in the shooter's category kind of feels cursory at best, yeah. so we'll leave it there. Seeing as I don't know a whole lot about it, I don't want to slam it too hard. <laughs> um, so last up, and maybe not least, is uh, Star Wars Battlefront. <laughs> big release of this past week. Um, you know, Positives of that game? Beautiful. Maybe Gorgeous the, game. Maybe the prettiest first-person shooter ever made. Like, stock out of the box. That thing, I, I was running around on Hawk the other day, and that looked so much like the sets. Yeah. I just felt like I was in that movie. Yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah, the, the ice caves on Hoth, like, approaching they, photorealism. They're they're beautifully rendered. And, mm. and that, that kind of, just not to harp on it, but going back to Fallout 4, there's mm. no excuse... Yeah. For Fallout 4's graphics, when you have things like Battlefront, that's a great out point. There. Yeah, they they don't compare. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Um, so Battlefront, pretty game, amazing sound design. I mean, if you play that game with headphones, like you were transported, and yeah. that's always been a strong point of Dice's games. So this mm-hmm. came from Dice, the creators of the Battlefield franchise. Yeah, you know, kind of long vaulted as the uh, the sole protectors of the um, combative online FPS experience. And, uh, and so they were given, you know, this, this franchise three years ago when Disney bought, uh, Lucasfilm and, um, and they've had three years to work on it. Do I wish they'd had a little more time? Maybe. Um, well, you gotta hit that movie release date though. Yeah. You gotta, <laughs> yeah, we'll talk more about that in the, in the review of the week. Um, I think that it's not a solid contender for game of the year and shooter. Uh, it does the things that it does, right. It does very right. But it's lacking in, a, in some other areas. And we'll cover it's, that. It's not a compelling. It's not as compelling yeah. as some of the others. I think that uh, Battlefront Two or whatever they call you know the future Battlefront franchise 
Because um, there already is a Battlefront 2. Battlefront again. Right. <laughs> Battle Frontier. <laughs> um, it, uh, it may do something more memorable, but as of right Maybe now, so. just not a huge standout title. So, yeah. so, that brings us to our first review of the week. So, Fallout 4. So, from Bethesda Softworks, uh, my history with the franchise, I didn't enjoy Fallout 3 much. You know, I gotta be honest, between the weapon degradation and the insane difficulty curve, I got maybe 18 hours into the game, ran out of ammo, all of my guns broke, and I couldn't repair them. And <laughs> the enemy, there were, like, legendary super mutants out there in the wasteland. And I was like, I can't sneak past these guys. Like, the game became unplayable to me. Yeah. And said, that, that is very similar to how my Fallout 3 experience yeah. ended as well. Yeah. Just kind of in horrible flames. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, tar- far too few hours into the game. Sure. And, uh, and so in Fallout 4, they've, um, they've revamped several systems of the game. They got rid of weapon degradation, which, like, has basically enabled me to play the game again. Like... I don't do good in games where my guns just stop working. Like, that's not a compelling gameplay mechanic to me. Like, No, and it's not very realistic. No. Like, you don't shoot a gun, you know, 50 times <laughs> and your gun explode if you haven't cleaned it. Like, yeah. maybe if it's some really terrible high point or something, but <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it just, it didn't stick with me. Uh, that said, Fallout 4, I, I dove headfirst into this thing. It does what I call pushing your dad buttons. I'm a dad. And, and too many shows and movies and games do this. Mm-hmm. They, they know that there are young men who are playing these games. Mm-hmm. And they go in and they, they push your dad button by, oh, the wife is murdered, the baby's taken. Huh. And they count on this built-in sympathy to, to, to start kick off their character, their mm-hmm. story, because they don't actually have something compelling enough to pull you in it without that built-in emotion. Yeah. And I'm not the first one to, to uh, talk about the dad buttons. Gabriel from uh, Penny Arcade is the one who, I think, coined the phrase. I see. And, uh, you know, he refused to play some of these games that, that do that button hmm. pushing. Interesting. And uh, I kind of feel the same way. Like, if you're not going to tell it compelling enough... Mm-hmm. You can't just rely on these buttons hmm. that guys have built into them. Interesting. To to carry your story. Yeah, I never thought of it that way. Yeah. You know, it's funny because Fallout 3 is the other side of this, the uh, dad button equation. So in Fallout 4, you know, you play the father. Yeah. But in Fallout 3, you play the son. And you're looking mm-hmm. for your dad. And See, that's more a lot more compelling to me. You think so? Uh, and, okay. and a lot more creative of a story. Okay. Uh, you know, think of every single action, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm-hmm. Jean-Claude Van Damme knockoff action movie, it's all, his wife is dead, now he's got to go avenge his family and find mm. his kid. Yeah. You know, they all push it, and, mm. and it's it's just not compelling. But to twist it on its head and make it a son trying mm. to find their dad, that's yeah. an interesting and compelling story. It's one that we haven't been bludgeoned over the head yeah. with for the past 20 years. Well, I think they're, they're games that push the dad buttons well, and I would call The Last of Us one of those, because, boy, the opening 20 minutes of that game. <sighs> See, I don't, I don't feel that The Last of Us was dad no? button pushing. Okay. I felt that it was 
showing some really great um, backstory mm-hmm. for Cole and why he, in this dark, bleak landscape, mm-hmm. would give a crap about this girl. Yeah. is because he saw, not because the dad buttons had been pushed mm-hmm. for the player or for Cole, but because he saw these echoes of mm. his daughter. Mm. So yeah, That's true. You know, and, and who his daughter could have been. Mm-hmm. And what he would want to have had happened to her, you yeah. know, wanted someone to look out for her and put her first if he was not there for her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I found that, um, you know, I knew what the premise of The Last of Us was before I started the game, and I kept yeah. waiting for them to, you know, introduce the the Joel and Ellie dynamic, and the game really took its time doing that. You know, it like, did. they don't like each other at all for maybe the first yeah. six hours of the game. And I was like, boy, like, come on, you know, I, I know what this thing is, just give it to me already. Yeah. And, um, and by the time they did, I was like, man, this is so much better than if they had just, you know, exactly. pushed this thing at me up front. Like, exactly. If it had been his daughter mm-hmm. who was in danger and now he's got to go and save her, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, it does make it better when they, when they, they step away from the cliches. Yeah. So. Yeah. I can't wait to see what so. they do. And there's been rumor of, a. Uh, like Neil Druckmann has unofficially said that Last of Us Two is uh, yeah. is in the works, so uh, I, I would look and look forward to that. The the PC version lets you mod it, and, and some of the mods have been some saving stuff. Some of the conversation choices in Fallout Four, um, the options that they give you on screen seem very different from when you, when you choose it. Like what your character says is very different from what you feel like what you've chosen. Yeah. And uh, and there are mods that show you exactly what you're going to say. And that's good. Um, and mods are coming to PS4 and the uh, Xbox One's version of this game. How they're going to do that, I don't know. Like, that's... I think that's a first huh. for mod support on a console. Like, that's impressive. But I think it's because so. Bethesda looked at what um, Skyrim did and how long that game has lived due to its mod support. And they want that for Fallout. Um, you know, Skyrim has died on consoles, but is still very much alive and well, to the point that um, Valve tried to monetize off of Skyrim mods, which led to a collective revolt on the yeah. internet's part. Like, Steam almost shut down over that. Like, Gabe Newell had to go on Reddit and do an AMA and, like, do damage control yeah. for his billion-dollar software delivery service. Yeah. It's like, oh, God, I'm killing the goose that's laying my golden eggs. <laughs> So, uh, so they'll have mod support. So I think Fallout 4 is going to have legs on console. You know, that said, uh, er- areas like music, you know, that I previously mentioned, they feel very weak. You know, I've turned off the in-game music and turned on Spotify playlists. Uh, another one that was really great was uh, on um, the website 8tracks.com. If you search for what was lost, it's this very mournful playlist of stuff that's made for, uh, for Fallout 4, or was chosen, rather, for Fallout 4. And, uh, and that gives a lot of soul to a game. Um, I don't know. This wouldn't be the first time that a developer has fallen back on its fan base to uh, to make up for their poor development. Uh, if you look at Destiny and them relying on the fans to make Destiny LFG because they didn't put any in-game matchmaking mm-hmm. into their title, you know it it's becoming increasingly common and maybe a little depressing that um, that they're you know counting on the love of their fans to save their poor development work. Uh, I'm just trying to think what other art form you could do that with, Yeah, you know, 
is release something that you know is not up to snuff and count on your fans to pick up the slack. Yep. Could you see that in a movie? <laughs> like, like we're going to release <laughs> Avengers here, mm-hmm. and uh, you guys go out and find some pretty epic music to put on you and play in the background, because yeah. we're just not going to really give you very good music for this. Or, you know, a book mm-hmm. that does that. Okay, go out and find some nice descriptions mm-hmm. of, you know, the Washington, D.C. area. Because we're not going to include that in the book. You'll have to... We'll, we'll put a little marker there that says you can fill in right here. Just imagine it with it's, your own mind. <laughs> yeah. It's just sad. Yeah. It, it, it kind of is. Um, yeah, that's it. I'm still dumping hours into it. You know, uh, they're very compelling little segments of it. Like, I, I stole a, a portable nuclear warhead launcher directly from behind the shopkeeper that was trying to sell it. Like, she was a, a robot that was facing forward. I got right behind her, turned around 180 degrees, crouched down, and it was like I was invisible. It was like I'd stepped into a void between dimensions. And I was like, and your portable rocket launcher is now mine. <laughs> so I took it and... Yeah. No, is that an example of bad game development? Though? Well, I see more because seriously, even <laughs> if you're a robot, yeah. if you're right there, yeah. are you gonna really miss that? You're right. The, there is a certain amount of magic, though, in these um, oh, fi- uh, these titles. Don't get me wrong. Finding a glitch is yeah. awesome, <laughs> yeah. but but is it good mm-hmm. and yeah. compelling? Yeah, is it rock solid? Is it fun? Yeah. <laughs> is it solid? No. Yeah. So, in contrast to uh, Bethesda's older titles, like Skyrim, I think that um, Fallout 4 is a marked improvement. Um, the subquests that they send you on, you know, in Skyrim, after about four or five of them from the same person, uh, they become fetch quests that are totally inconsequential to the story. They reveal nothing about the world at large, and it's just like, okay, I went here and I killed this person, and I did it to say I did it. Whereas in Fallout, you know, I've gotten like 8 or 12 deep subquests on a person, and it's still revealing more about the world. They found a way to make that more compelling, and I don't know where the bottom is for that. I don't know where it stops. So, I would say that's a good thing. It, it's definitely got legs. Um, and in comparison to something like Elder Scrolls Online, which, I mean, let's be honest, is kind of dead on arrival at this point. It's been out for two years. It's gone free-to-play on some things. Um... It, it, it's much better than uh, than what Elder Scrolls Online is doing. Uh, is it necessarily timeless? Yeah, I think so. And I think that mods will uh, will buff it out. And, you know, here in three or four years, when there's like a definitive, you know, whole uh, upgraded mod edition of this game that you can find from somewhere online, I'm sure, um, I think it will be the game that, that that we're treating it like it is right now. And um, it, it says something that, you know, it's been out for so long and it's already on Game of the Year lists. Like, there can't be that many people who have finished the main story, you know, yeah. let alone are saying it's Game of the Year yeah. or, um, you know, deserves that accolade. Um, so I think time will bear that out. I think it is a uh, um, a hallmark entry in that series, and it's going to stand out. Hmm. All right, so on to our, uh, our last review. So Star Wars Battlefront. Here it is. It's finally here. You know, from these tiny little half a second uh, clips that they showed at the E3 trailer a couple years ago. Like, their whole E3 trailer in 2012 or 2013 was, We love Star Wars. We know you love Star Wars too, but we love it more. 
And then there's like a flash of Endor and like a rebel character. I mean, it's maybe four frames of video total. And that's like all you get to see of the game, you know, basically up until three months before its release. And, um, and so it's here. And, um, we, uh, we played a little bit of co-op on there and it, it's a gorgeous game. Um, it feels like too many times they put you up against aircraft with nothing but small arms, but... Well, that's only natural, you know. Aircraft are, are naturally susceptible <laughs> to small arms fire. Well, TIE Fighters not exactly renowned for their extreme build quality. No. Um, but it is fun. Um, will it be remembered after Battlefront 2 or Battle Frontier uh, comes out? Probably not. I think that there are things that um, will be done in future uh, entries that will be more memorable, more fun, more compelling. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I felt like, um, you know, as a, as a giant fan of the Battlefront franchise, I, I ate, breathed, <laughs> slept Battlefront 1, and right. then I ate, breathed, slept Battlefront 2. Mm-hmm. I love those franchises, and it was crushing when, when Battlefront 3 did not come out. And so, so to see it finally come out, and, and maybe it's just because I've become a little disillusioned with the Star Wars franchise in general, mm. but it's a little disappointing to me. Hmm. It, it lacks some of the fun hmm. of the first two. Okay. Um, uh, just the, the, the fact that you can't do a cooperative campaign. Mm-hmm. You can fight yeah. against each other, but yeah. you cannot uh, do those games uh, cooperatively. You can do survival cooperatively. That's mm-hmm. kind of your only option is these four cooperative maps. Right. And that was my favorite part of Battlefront is mm-hmm. getting together with my friends and, uh, you know, going through, setting the game as hard as humanly possible, yeah. and the two of you up against a brutal AI. It yeah. was great. Yeah. But uh, that's that's gone now. And maybe I'm in the minority in that, but... Uh, but I don't think so. And yeah. the, the lack of split-screen online multiplayer feels almost uh, unforgivable in a game that is entirely multiplayer. There's no single-player campaign in this game. Yeah. And so... Yeah. Arguably, this game's biggest chunk, it's online progression, you know, in big multiplayer battles, saying, yeah, you have to buy another copy of the game and another PlayStation 4 if you want to do that with your friends, and you can't do it in the same place or on the TV. Yeah. Like, that's a yeah. crazy barrier to entry. Like, yeah. you're just, you're cutting your market uh, your market into ribbons by doing that. And um, furthermore, you, you kind of have to wonder, how does this thing fit in, uh, as a first-person shooter alongside other first-person shooters? You know, alongside, like, the Call of Duties of the world, or yeah. the Halos of the world. You know, is it bringing anything new to the table there? Not necessarily. No, it's not. Yeah, and um, and I don't know that Battlefront will hold the uh, the eye of the masses in the way that you know Call of Duty titles do. Yeah. Because while a new one comes out every year, um, they maintain numbers up until the release of that next yeah. title. Yeah. And I don't think that uh, people will stick around with Battlefront. Well, I mean, they may stick around because of the franchise itself. Maybe. But uh, there's some people that are just, you know, die hard that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the, the gameplay itself is not compelling enough to keep people in. It's it's yeah. just downright uh, sluggish mm. compared to a lot of first-person shooters out there. Yeah. Well, uh, something that I did not enjoy is in the cooperative um, part of the game, it forces a third-person perspective. 
you know, um, that's actually not true. You can no? change your setting mm. uh, to be first person or third person. I wish so I'd done that. I prefer the third person okay. sometimes. Gotcha. It gives me a little <laughs> added advantage, <laughs> I feel. Well, there were aspects of, like, player movement in the game that I just found very jarring. They are. Like, um, you know, the, the rebel jump pack. I mean, you have no idea where that thing's going to take no. you. <laughs> no, it's messy and at best. There's a lot of verticality at work in the, in the game there, too. Yeah. So... There's, I found myself, you know, four out of five times using that rebel jump, getting just like six inches below the lip of an edge, and then just sliding the whole way back down, yeah, and um, and not getting up anywhere, and uh, that that was deeply frustrating. Um, I also found that um, the way that heroes move in comparison to other characters, um, I think it would make it very hard for uh, the hero, like uh, a Luke Skywalker character, to move in a, in tandem with his uh, Rebel jump pack counterparts. Because Luke has these, you know, these big sweeping forward motions, and he's like mm-hmm. sailing through the air. Yeah, um, you outpace your uh, your troops very quickly with Luke. Yeah, and um, it just shows like maybe they didn't spend the most time in playtesting figuring out, you know, um, player movement and uh, and mechanics. Yeah. To uh, to make that easier to do because there are game modes that rely, you know, on your uh, on your little minion counterparts and stuff. And yeah. if they're not there to take the bullets for you, um, you're suddenly very exposed. Well, one of the things that I found uh, really interesting and kind of off-putting with that, uh, uh, the hero mode when mm-hmm. we were playing against each other mm-hmm. is uh, you were playing Boba Fett and I mm-hmm. was playing Luke, mm-hmm. and you were destroying <laughs> me. You killed my hero so many times, but I ran well, around. And yet and you won. I won, <laughs> because I ran around, and while you were shooting me in the face, yep. I picked up little icons on the ground, yeah. and that somehow made me win, yep. whereas you had clearly dominated me throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so the you know just that in yeah. and of itself was kind of confusing and off-putting. Sure. You know, even though I won. Yeah, I mean, in a mode called Hero Battle, or like, you know, head-to-head like that, yeah. you, you assume gameplay is one way, and it turns out to be another. And, yeah, um, yeah that, that was very confusing, and uh, I, I know that nerfs to Boba Fett are going to be com- uh, incoming, because he gets, like, a 30-second jetpack. Like, yeah. you can hover over the field of battle for what feels like way too long. Now, maybe I shouldn't say that and give people ideas, because it was actually kind of a fun way to play, <laughs> but, I mean, ultimately, it didn't lead to me winning, so it's... No. Maybe well, it's... and and it, the whole mode of gameplay basically encouraged you not to fight each other, right. but to run around and kill each other's minions right. and pick up little little icons. Yeah, it's I mean, sad. to call it a hero battle or whatever, yeah. it's kind of a, it's a misnomer yeah. know, at, at best. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I don't know, this, this game could have been something amazing. It could have. Um, I think if they hadn't had to meet the Episode 7 deadline, you yes. know, we're, we're now Definitely. at T-minus less than a month to Star Wars Day. And uh, I still haven't bought my tickets for that yet. I need to do that. <laughs> I saw a picture online yesterday of a guy who bought the entire uh, theater's worth of tickets because he didn't want anybody in there uh, to see the movie with him. So he had a stack of tickets that thick. And, uh, and he said it was $2,080 to buy all the uh, the tickets for this movie. And, uh, and I was like, damn, I wish I had been that guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, people are very, very pumped for that, as am I. But... If this thing had how could it possibly stink at this yeah, point? Yeah, right. I mean, you know? so much hype. How could this ever go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I think another six months or a year in the back to tank would have done this title well. And um, I know that this isn't the last we've seen of Battlefront. Like, yeah. there's far too much money to be made, yeah. and especially now that they're in, they're after those sweet, sweet yearly Call of Duty dollars. Um, 
we'll, we'll be back on well, these uh, on these and and I wish that they hadn't rested so much on the laurels of mm. hey you guys like Star Wars mm. you'll buy this game right. I wish they'd made it more compelling I mm. wish they'd built in a little bit of story mm. uh, something that was you know more compelling than mm. than moving from one random battle to the next with no continuity even if you had the continuity that destiny brings in mm. of you had your rebel trooper that you designed and you felt like this was you and you collected your gear and you know mm. something like that to carry you through random battles yeah would have made it more compelling but it's not there yeah yeah it feels like from the moment they announced this game they're like all right battlefront that's a known quantity. You know what to expect from that. And people were like, oh my god, it's happening. And we're getting, you know, a A version of it. And then every moment from then has been like, and you're not getting this. You're not getting a single player campaign. You're not getting this. You're not getting space battles. You're not getting this. You're not getting split screen multiplayer. Yeah. They just keep hacking away from this yeah. thing that we've come to uh, expect. And um, until you eventually get this thing, you're like, well, we're getting this much. But is it Battlefront? Maybe not. Like, well, I think that's what Star Wars fans have been doing for years, though. Adjusting expectations. Their stuff gets their <laughs> stuff gets chopped up, and mm. they get whole plot holes the size of you mm. know the Death Star, <laughs> and and they they excuse it because they love Star Wars, yeah. and that's what happened throughout the prequels, and it's what's happened with a lot, a mm. lot of Star Wars games. Mm. Star Wars games have been some of the worst games yeah. ever. <laughs> you love this thing now watch as we destroy it and make yeah. you keep saying and, you love well, it. <laughs> well they, they count on that you try to love it mm. is the thing yeah and and that's what's carried a lot of star wars games through that's true and yeah it's... they lean really heavily on the love of the franchise yeah i yeah. think the old republic did that in a big way and then yes. like that yeah. thing sank like the titanic you know in a yeah in few metaphors able to to match that yeah. i mean 200 million on voice acting to go free to play within a year yeah. oh yeah. like that i'm a little surprised battlefront got made after the huge amount of money that must have been lost on yeah. that um but yeah so another star wars title that we will make right. excuses for and continue <laughs> to love uh, until and land like, solidly in the, at that two and a half star rating. Right, <laughs> it's a reskin with Star Wars yeah. theme, but it's yeah. a beautiful reskin. It's a beautiful. It is. I mean, it is. I will give it that. If I could make a screensaver out of this game, I would do it in a heartbeat. It would be the prettiest screensaver. I mean, if you look at the 4K ultra resolution uh, settings pictures that are up online, I mean, damn, like there are you know computer animated movies that don't look this good. And, um, I mean, the textures, you know, the dirt and smudges on the Stormtrooper uniforms. And, and it doesn't have that weird, uncanny valley no. feel to it, either. No. That's what's incredible about the graphics. Yeah, I think the lighting in that does so much for it. Because you can see, you know, like, the almost amber-colored sunlight reflecting on the uh, the blaster rifles. Yeah. And it's just, it does a lot for it. I, I just wish there was more underneath it, the surface. It doesn't save it. No. It doesn't save it. I mean, it's a pretty, pretty car with a... Volkswagen Beetle engine. <laughs> yeah. 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 That would bring us to the end of this first episode of R2 Gaming. So I'm John. You can find our website at http colon slash slash r2g.squarespace.com. And Abe, where can people find you on the internet at? Well, I am a writer, so you can find me at uh, sjabraham.com or geekywriting.com. Either one of those will link to my author pages where you can find all sorts of uh, uh, book reviews, short fiction, and uh, news about my uh, 
premier novel. He writes about Destiny stuff. It's really good. You should check it out. <laughs> All right, you Thank guys. You. We will talk to you later. We are out.